just recording right now because when I'm talking, actually, I hate making introductions anyway. Anytime I'm conducting an interview, whether I've known someone for my entire life or I'm just now having like my second or third conversation with them, because it always feels so awkward for me to be like, I'm here with Sarah Turney, my friend since I was two years old. <laughs> you may know her yeah. from the Voices for Justice podcast, but I guess that's kind of what I just did. So hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Glitter Cast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm really excited for us to sit and chat because we both kind of have like this public image. Yours is more developed than mine, but we both ended up kind of in entertainment, but we go back to like when we were, I think you were two and I was three years old when we met. Uh, yeah, it's so crazy. As much as I want to say, I never imagined that we'd be here. I feel like we both kind of imagined that we'd be here. I feel like it makes total sense considering like when we were little, we were always putting on talent shows for our parents and charging them like a dollar to watch us dance to Paula Abdul and just be lunatics and always wanting to start bands and our nicknames like Rockstar Renee and Sexy Sarah. Like <laughs> we were just like You're never gonna let me live that down, are you? Hey, it, I mean <laughs> It's pretty true though. So you grew in, you grew into the name. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Too funny. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, we've been, you know, in a sense performing together since we were really little. That's all. I mean, I feel like back then too, that's really all you did was like, here, here's this dance I made up, watch it and pay me a dollar for it. Um, that was very much us. <laughs> so yeah. For, pretty foretelling. I, here's my dance. Pay me. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much always trying to uh, shyster our parents there like, hey, hey, give us money for what we create. And they're like, sure, whatever here. Here's like 25 cents. Um, do you remember when we were little and we decided that we were going to throw a circus and we made paper tickets and we sold them to different people in the neighborhood and then like no one came, but they bought tickets. I do. I remember that. I think it was the people who lived like right across the street from you. They bought, um, they did buy tickets and then we like left the money on their porch and we ran away because we were like, we're never going to be able to create this circus. We're like seven years old. What were we thinking? Um, but I do remember we like legit thought that we were going to have a full circus. We're like, we're going to get these vendors. We're going to get animals. There's going to be like, there's going to be games, you know? And I, I partially blame, um, the Oriental trading company catalogs for our belief in that we could create an entire event as actually children. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a very good point. I do remember now like that sort of having cold feet and chickening out, but yeah, we were always up to some sort of like entertainment thing and we've just been sisters our entire life. And it's like, I want people who don't really know you to get a little bit of a perspective of kind of like what you're doing now, because obviously my listeners know that like I'm, I'm, I have a podcast about witchcraft, which I want to talk about our history in that realm together. Um, but I kind of want you to have the mic to kind of explain where you're at professionally and what led you to your position in life as it stands. Yeah, sure. So as much as, you know, when we were kids, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to be a movie star or a singer, or, you know, whatever it was. I, I definitely had all those aspirations as a kid. Um, I When I got older, I never thought that that would be the case. I was like the biggest social hermit. Like I had, you know, like I had no 20s. Like I was never in clubs. I never went out. Um, and I certainly wasn't, you know, big on social media trying to uh, make a name for myself or whatever. So, you know, it, it's kind of, it's this weird story, right? Of where, you know, essentially I have this missing sister, Alyssa Turney, and the police said, well, you know, if, if you want some movement in the case, our best suggestion is for you to get media exposure. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's time to, you know, not be a social hermit anymore and get active on these social media accounts. And long story short, you know, there was an arrest made in Alyssa's case, and now I'm covering other cases in need of justice. So I, I found myself kind of thrust into the true crime community and as a family member of a victim, I saw a lot of things that I wanted to, you know, change and that I thought I could educate people on. And I certainly found a ton of cases that I wanted to help. So that's kind of where I'm at now is, you know, I, I, uh, I do enjoy social media more. I definitely think that I've come out of my shell, but it's like this necessary evil in terms of promoting these cases. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I got into, you know, the entertainment industry in quotes, if you will. Um, 
because um, you know true crime is, is certainly different than other verticals of entertainment but that's a whole different subject yeah and I've I've kind of been a spectator you know seeing how you're treated on social media seeing the support that you get but also seeing like the fucking shit that you have to deal with and you know I feel like I want to kill people sometimes when I see like their comments on your on your stuff because like I've seen people say like like when you've gotten emotional about a case that you're covering covering like I've seen people say like oh like she's she's not really crying um people blaming you for your sister disappearing which like we were what 10 when your sister went missing and so I'm kind of curious like how do you deal with that shit when you're trying to be vulnerable? You're trying to make it so that people can connect with you and feel like they're a part of your story because that's how you raise awareness and you get people to act, you know, with you. Like, how do you deal with that shit? Honestly, like, I feel like it's gotten better over time. Like, very rarely do I get upset when people say things about me. Like, at this point, I just don't care. Like, it kind of comes with the territory. It's the more you put yourself out there, the more haters you're going to have. It's a numbers game. You know what I mean? It's just it's simple math. Not everybody's going to like you. When it gets harder for me is when they attack other people or other family members or other cases. That's when I feel really defensive because I feel like, you know, I, I've brought you this case and now you're attacking it. And so I feel bad. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, God. Like maybe I should have rephrased that differently so people wouldn't attack them. And it's just, it's this forever game of like, how can I do this better to make people understand these stories without blaming the victim or blaming a family member involved for these, you know, possible missteps in the case. So honestly, like, you know, at this point I'm, I'm a tough girl. I grew up really, really tough as you know. Um, and it's like, I, I just don't care. Like attack me all you want. Um, I'd, honestly rather have you know an open conversation about it I, I posted some things on my Instagram today that people weren't happy about but it's like you know it's an open conversation let's do that instead of trolling each other if you're just going to come at me and troll me and say mean things I'm not really going to think twice about it because I just think that you're in it for you know to be a troll to get that response and I'm going to try not to give that response to you right there's Another aspect of like something that you've encountered where there was a couple of people saying that they were psychic, um, you know, saying that they had information about, you know, your sister's case or where she was buried and things like that. And from my count, you've had like two different people kind of approach you in that way. What like what has that been like for you? Because like that's always been super triggering for me because I take my work very seriously and people like that are fucking jokes to me and like predators. So I'm curious kind of like if you wanted to elaborate on what that experience was like. Yeah. I mean, it's been one of the worst experiences throughout this whole thing, to be honest. I mean, I can't think of many things that are more traumatizing than, Hey, I think I know how your sister died. Here's all the terrible details. Hey, I think I know where she's buried. Come with me and let's do it on video for clout or whatever. Like, it's just, honestly, it's gross and disgusting. And I try to stay away from those people. But what makes me sad is that I've always been super open, open-minded to this stuff, as I'm sure we'll discuss. And as you know, it's like, I've never been that person that's been like, psychics are all full of crap and, you know, they don't know what they're talking about and they're all just scam artists. I've never, ever been that person. And as I had these terrible experiences with these psychics or ghost whispers or whatever they want to call themselves, I really closed myself off to it. I was like, okay, I don't want to talk to these people anymore. You know, I just, I literally cannot take it anymore. And that's what makes me sad because I do, I, I pride myself on being extremely open-minded and teachable. And I always love to learn. It's, it's one of my favorite qualities about myself. And I found that I've been really closed off in that realm ever since. It's like you, and it, it's not just me. You know, I hear other victim stories. I'm, I'm really close with, um, you know, a missing girl's mother and she gets, the worst of the worst. I've seen these messages. I, you know, they're asking for money. They're telling her horrendous things, you know, graphic details about her daughter's supposed death. And, you know, this woman fully believes that her daughter is still out there alive. And it's like, that's when it becomes extremely harmful when it's unsolicited and aggressive and graphic. There's no reason to be that way. There's in my mind, certainly just better ways of approaching family members. If you truly do want to help. Yeah. And that's always like, for me, that's the biggest red flag, no matter what the circumstances are. Like if someone who claims that they're psychic approaches you and it's unsolicited, like that's always like, you should just not, you should just disengage. But it's just like, 
you know, there's one guy who kind of has like built a platform where he goes after, you know, true, true crime cases and, you know, tries to engage with the family members of victims. And it's like, fuck, dude, like when you see someone who has that many followers, it's just sort of like disheartening to see that, like, there are other people who support this behavior. Yeah, well, I mean, and to be honest, family members are the easiest people to take advantage of. You know, most of the time we're sitting here begging for people to cover our stories, right? And that's exactly what happened in my example. I was begging people to cover the story before the arrest. This guy was covering it with his, you know, ghost whisperer videos or whatever. He has this spirit box where he supposedly talks to people. And then the second I was like, hey, you got some information wrong, he turned on me. And it was all of a sudden, you don't want to find your sister's body because you want to make money, which please make that make sense my head because I do not understand to this day, you know, um, just all these horrendous things that maybe I did it. He sicked his followers after me. It got really aggressive and really gross really fast. But again, I was easy prey. I'm sitting there begging for people to help me. And then of course, when I say, Hey, maybe you didn't do this in the right way. Hey, you got some information wrong. It all of a sudden became, you should be grateful. You should shut up and take it because you're begging people for, you know, you're begging for people to cover the case. So why are you so ungrateful? And it's like, I'm not like, obviously, you know, like it, it just, it crosses a line. And in this space, it's, it's rarely accepted when a family member says, Hey, what you did to me is not okay. Because again, what we always get is shut up and be grateful. You're asking for help. I'm helping. Now you're complaining. What's wrong with you? Um, and again, it's, it's something I'm trying to change in this space um, because it's okay to be extremely grateful for the good help and say, Hey, that's not okay. I don't have to accept that type of help. And it's like, people shouldn't be attacked for that. It's honestly, that experience with that guy was one of the most horrendous I have experienced in true crime. And I, I want to say that most people aren't like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. I know that, you know, even, yeah, even outside of psychic stuff, like you mentioned, there can be just like people who are internet sleuths who try to solve cases through their platform, like having this sort of like aggressive defense when other family members point out what, you know, where there's, where there's a, a miscommunication or, or misinformation. And you, I mean, you started out like advocating for yourself and, you know, in more recent times have shifted towards being an advocate for others, but you have this unique perspective that most content creators in true crime don't have. You're like the unsolved mystery guy. You're like, you know, like I'm actually really <laughs> in this world. And so what, like, how, how are you sort of approaching this, trying to hold space differently than other content creators do? Yeah, I mean, and it's not fair for me to expect every content creator to have the same outlook as me. You know what I mean? I understand that I do have a, a pretty unique uh, understanding of the true crime world being on both sides, both, you know, the, the family member of the victim as well as the content creator. And, you know, I just try to like, I, I okay, I knew I entered this space, like I knew exactly what I did not want to be you know, you know, and you get to hear everything. You get to hear all the things that people don't because, you know, in my defense, I rarely call people out. I have been done dirty by more people than I can count. And I rarely talk about it. I will rarely name names. I will rarely call people out. Um, but that did cause me to enter the space and say, I know exactly what I don't want to be. It's kind of like when you have a bad boss and you're like, I'm never going to treat my employees that way. I'm never going to treat people that way. That's exactly how I felt entering the true crime space, covering cases that weren't my sisters was like, wow, I'm never going to do that to a family member. And, you know, I have to be honest, I'm learning and growing every single day. And I feel like I am developing my style still, you know, it's only been six months since I've been covering these other cases, but I like to think that I do handle it with, you know, more sensitivity. Um, but I also try not to lean exclusively on the family member side. You know what I mean? I have to be fair to the facts and that's a balance that I, I work on every single day is, you know, I, I just, my heart bleeds for each and every person for each and every cause. I've always been that person, whether it be animals or nonprofit, you know, organizations that I've worked for, you know, and certainly in true crime. And, but I have to, again, I have to remain as unbiased as possible, which has been hard. Um, but I'm working on it. So long story short, I knew exactly what I didn't want to be and I'm still developing exactly who I want to be, but it's also an ever changing space. Um, so again, it's, I implore everyone like just be open and teachable and, um, yeah, open to learning and growing. So I just, I forever 
strive to be that person that is teachable. Um, I love that you kind of have taken this position where like I've seen you we've both kind of dealt with bullshit in our, in our perspective, like industries. And we've both been good about not naming names and things like that. But I think that's like, I think that's a really important thing for people to look at because I've noticed that when there are other content creators who try to drag specific people's names through the mud, there's usually a motive that's not really rooted in like trying to make a difference or taking your, like there's like a lack of dignity and the work that you do. And so I just wanted to kind of like, as someone who takes the same disposition as you, but someone who's been a victim of name dragging, like, I just wanted to like, kind of point that out to you and to listeners that like, that's what a professional bitch looks like. That's what a, (laughs) like, that is professional shit. Um, and I just, I think it's really shows a level of maturity because it's like, sometimes you want to take that bait and just be like, I'm going to lay this shit out and expose you guys, but it kind of takes away from the real message. Um, I'm curious how, when you are picking up other cases and when you are like deciding to cover something, what helps lead you to the decision on like what you're going to look at? Because I know that there's like, there can be a temptation to mostly do like high profile cases, but I also know that for you, like, you know what it's like to start at the bottom. So I'm kind of curious, like what your, what it looks like for you when you're deciding who to cover. Yeah. I mean, it's all about balance. I have, um, you know, this big Excel file of like 300 cases and it is divided, you know, I, I do kind of categorize it in certain ways so that it makes more sense to me, right? These are the ones that family members send to me, which they do get priority. I will look at those cases first, um, just because it, if there's a family advocate, I want to help them as much as I can, that type of thing. But uh, again, it's all balance. I do cover huge cases that everybody's heard about as long as they need justice, because I've been that person who has seen online a creator say, oh, the Alyssa Turing story is so big. She doesn't need help. I'm not going to cover it. And there I am sitting, begging the entire world to cover this case, thinking it's not that big. You know, it's not big enough. The world doesn't know there's no justice. So I understand that struggle. But like you said, I started at the bottom. So I I like to pick up cases that nobody knows about too. Um, But, you know, with that being said, I also love to pick up cases where there is no family advocate. When I see that a child goes missing, and there's no one fighting for them, I'm all about that case too, because it comes down to the victim. Um, so it's, I don't have a defined formula. Like it, it's pretty, it's simple. Like it's as simple as I put it. If the story needs justice, I want to cover it. Um, whether it's big, it's small, whether there's a family advocate or whether there's not, I want to cover it all. And I want to make sure that there's a good balance. Um, you know, and I have made specific efforts to cover people of color. You know, I've seen that, you know, I feel very fortunate that Alyssa is a, white, blonde, beautiful American girl. And I understand that she gets, you know, privilege in this space. She gets more coverage because of the way that she looks, um, the way that she looks. And so I did try to make a concerted effort to feature more people of color, you know, but it's, it's hard um, because when those cases aren't covered at all, that means that there's very little information out there to go on. So again, it's all about balance. And at the end of the day, I want to help as many people as possible. I always joke about how I'm going to like die in front of this microphone telling these stories because there's there's just so many cases I could probably cover a new case you know every day for the rest of my life and not get to them all let alone once a week for the rest of my life um so it's hard and I I want to cover everything I think that that's my biggest struggle but I hope to get to as many as possible how often do you get emails and messages from family members every day every day multiple times a day um and I feel horrible because I can't respond to them all. I just can't. You know, I had every, I had, uh, you know, every, uh, every uh, intention of doing so when I first asked for case admissions and opened that up on my website. I was like, I'm going to get to every single person. I'm going to give them all this personalized attention. And the bottom line is I can't. I am still a one-person operation with Voices for Justice. And I'm working on other projects under that same umbrella that haven't been announced yet. And, um, yeah, I, I strive to get to the point where I can hire someone to help me with that because I do feel like everybody deserves an answer, but I, man, I just, there's not enough hours in the day. Well, especially because I know, I mean, I know you and I know how like obsessive you can get about 
piecing together information and doing your research. I mean, like I've talked to you and you've been like, yeah, I haven't really slept that much lately, but I just can't stop like going over these case files, like whether they're your own or whether they're like another family's. So I'm kind of curious, where do you, I know where you get the information from like your sister's case, that seems obvious, but like, where do you get the information um, when it comes down to, I mean, obvious, like depending on when it gets released to you, but like, uh, where do you get the information to research other cases that, you know, you're not as close to? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends. I do try to get police records as often as possible, um, but a lot of the times that takes many, many months. Um, for example, you know, there's a case that was uh, native here to Arizona, the Brandy Myers case. I submitted for the records back in, my gosh, uh, November of last year, and they just got to me like this week or whatever. And it's there's just such a lead time for those police records. So I do try to put in those requests and I try to wait. Um, but, you know, oftentimes it comes from other media coverage, which in my is like, it's so scary to me because I have seen so many media outlets take Alyssa's story and get it all wrong. And these are now the sources that I'm depending on for my information. So what I also try to do with all these, you know, official media reports is I hunt down interviews with the family members. Like I want to see it. I don't care if that's on Dr. Phil, like other podcasts, whatever I can do. If I can hear directly from the family members, I try to get that as much as possible because, you know, what I've learned is that in most cases, you know, where the family members aren't suspects or persons of interest, you know, when there's just genuinely no concern about them being, you know, involved in a, in a nefarious way, they know this case better than anybody. And, you know, most of the times they don't have a whole lot of incentive to tell it wrong. They just genuinely want the correct information out there. So it's like, you know, police records, if I can, um, media reports are absolutely necessary, just necessary evil. And I try to get those, um, those family interviews as much as I can, but it's, it's hard. And every case is certainly different. Sometimes there's a ton of information, you know, I did a three part series on the yogurt shop murders and I read a ton of books. I saw a ton of interviews. There was a plethora of information. And sometimes, you know, I, I get called by a family member that says there's not a lot of coverage. I'll see two or three articles, you know, that will confirm, you know, that this incident actually occurred, but then the rest is a family interview. Um, so it just, it totally depends. But I, like you said, I am kind of obsessive about my research um, and I won't use I won't use sources that I don't feel are credible, right? Like, I'm not going to be like, well, I read on Reddit that they think this happened. Like, I I just, I can't in good faith do that. I think that there's a lot of great people on Reddit, but uh, you have to be careful about those sources. So I am a little crazy about research, which means um, it takes a lot. You know, I it takes me almost down to the wire every single week to do these cases because I want to get every single last piece of research in there that I can. I mean, I know what you're saying, too, even about, like, the Reddit thing, because I think that there is this, like, subculture of people who, you know, they go through true crime cases, and it's, like, you know, on like, in the CISO Hotel documentary, when that, that, like, goth guy got fucking, like, slammed on the internet and accused of murder because of like someone something like someone posted something on like a reddit type thread and so it can really be damaging to people's reputations do you kind of like keep an eye out within your own industry like have like you know like obviously we're not the naming name crowds but like do you have a mental note of like which podcasters you think are ethical in their research and which ones you think are sort of like sensationalized information Absolutely. I mean, and a lot of that comes from my own personal experience. You know, I have a unique perspective where I... I would like to think that I probably know more about my sister's case than the average person out there. So when I get to hear that story retold by 50 plus different programs, I can tell you exactly who does good research. I can tell you who does bad research. I can tell you who plagiarizes. I can tell you who cares. It's just, again, it's that unique perspective of where I go, wow, I don't even know where they got that information from, but it's extremely wrong. I think that they just made that up. Um, and it's hard because again, I'm in the mindset that everybody can learn and grow. So it's not as if I have a ton of podcasters in my mind that I'm like, they're absolute crap. I think everything that they've ever done is crap. Um, but there are certainly the ones where I'm like, you know, I would, I would double check before, uh, you know, basing anything I've ever done off their research. Not that I do that anyway. I, I try not to, I try not to listen to a ton of other episodes about what I'm doing because I don't want it to be conflicted in my mind. I want those, uh, those real resources, but yeah, I mean, it's hard not to notice, but again, I, 
try to be forgiving. I don't think that anybody is above learning and growing and, and getting better in this space. And the second that we try to cut people off forever and say, well, they did that one bad thing one time there, it's not redeemable. Um, I think that's where it gets really dangerous and, and unkind for no real good reason. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that kind of does happen. You know, I like I think cancel culture has its place and doesn't have its place, you know, like if there's like a repeat offender, but it's like, yeah, I could see what you mean where it's like someone does one bad thing and it's like, you know, they might not even realize it and it can like sort of like invalidate everything they've ever done or do before that point. So I kind of appreciate that perspective because I do think that there's like kind of an anger that exists in the, like, you know, for content creators where it can be scary to, you know, are you going to get cut off for something? Yeah. And I, I do think that we're kind of on the, uh, the, like we're getting over that cancel culture mentality. I think a few years ago or even a year ago, I mean, and it's not like, I'm such like a pop culture nerd, right. Especially when it comes to YouTube. So it's like, yeah, their cancel culture was absolutely a thing. I mean, look at why Jenna Marbles is off the internet. It's, it, and it breaks my heart because it affects people that don't necessarily deserve it. Um, I think that very few people deserve like, we will never trust you again. You should get off. You should have no platform. I think that that applies to very, very, very few people. And most of those people, like you genuinely have to like murder someone or like harm a child for me to think that way. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think that hopefully we're getting out of that um, because man, we're all people. We're all learning and growing. Like, tell me that you were, you're the same person today that you were 10 years ago and I'll call you a liar. Nobody is. Um, you know, I've made mistakes. I was called out because I talked about sex between a child and an adult calling it sex instead of calling it rape. And somebody called me out and I'm like, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I didn't even think about it. So like one thing that is so scary to me is that I think that some people look at me as this like moral compass of true crime. And it's like, it's flattering, but also like I'm human. I make mistakes all the time I don't ever want to pretend that I am or be perceived as this like I said moral compass um because I'm not we're all just people I'm not better than anybody else and you'll like in my episodes all the time like people always want my theories and I literally say all the time who am I who am I to say who killed John Bonnet Ramsey right nobody right nobody yeah. And I mean, I could see why there would be a pressure about the moral compass thing, but I do think you have kind of stepped into this role of being an advocate for, you know, um, the family members of victims who like are, you know, victims in their own right, I would say. And so I'm kind of curious, like how, because I, it feels like you're, you know, you've, you've done panels where you talk about like victim sense, like the, you know, victim sensitivity and family sensitivity. So, um, I'm like, I feel like that must feel like a pretty natural path for you, but like how, like how did that evolution occur? Did it just sort of unwind, like unfold that way? Yeah, it, it definitely did. I was actually at a true crime podcast festival a few years ago and they said, Hey, want to do a panel on ethics and true crime? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. That sounds amazing. Um, and I mean, that was an experience that we've talked about offline um, that I don't, again, we don't want to name names, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got into it. And then I was like, wow, like this is a natural fit. I'm obviously extremely passionate about it. Um, so yeah, I feel like it just kind of developed from there. And yeah, I mean, now I do speak on it quite often on my podcast. I get other speaking gigs, you know, where I, where I discuss it and talk to real professionals in this industry. You know, I feel like I'm just like a content creator, right? And I'm like, now I'm, I'm, you know, talking about these things with directors and producers and these, you know, creators that have this huge influence in the community. And it's, it's wild to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I just learned a lot about what you don't do to families because I was like, ow, that hurts. And that hurts for no reason. And that hurts because you're just trying to promote yourself or because you want to get clicks because you're so outrageous, those types of things. Um, so again, I think, I think it just came naturally because I've been I honestly hurt so bad by the media as well as, you know, the justice system in general. Um, I'm curious, like, because I know that there are probably a lot of people who listen to this that do listen to other true crime content creators. I'm curious, you know, if you just had to give a guideline of what an ethical content creator looks like in your world, what would that look like? Um, Honestly, it boils down to, um, you know, as simple as somebody with good intentions. 
-hmm. If you have good intentions, the rest is going to follow. If you know that you're creating this content because you genuinely want to help the victim or get some greater, you know, idea or concept across, I think the rest is just going to follow with your content. But if you go into it thinking, I'm going to make all this money and I want to get famous and I'm going to get clicks, then yeah, the rest is going to follow with that too. Um, People aren't stupid. You know, consumers are very, very educated these days. You know, I can't say every single consumer, but I like to... I, I think my audience is very intelligent. And if you treat them that way and you have good intentions, again, the rest just follows. It can be as easy as that. It's not really about you're doing A, B, and C when you're interviewing and you're doing A, B, and C when you market this. It's just be a good person, have good intentions. Right. I know that, I mean, I can imagine that up until you kind of started to explore these realms and became more ingrained in this community, I have to imagine that dealing with your circumstances felt isolating at times. And I'm curious kind of how getting involved in the community that you're in now has changed that for you. Oh, it's changed everything. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I lost everything fighting for my sister. And I'm like, I'm not being dramatic when I say that. I lost my career. I've damaged, you know, my relationships with, with significant others. I lost most of our friends. Our childhood best friends stopped talking to me after an arrest. You know what I mean? Like, you know that. And I, I've lost everything for this fight. But what I gained was the true crime community, which I never expected to that to be a side effect. You know what I mean? I, I fully went into this like, okay, I guess I'm just ready to self-destruct for the cause and hopefully I like <laughs> make it out on the other end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have gained so much and like, you know, this past weekend I was at CrimeCon and one of the biggest reasons I wanted to go was of course I'm, I'm there advocating for other cases, but I wanted to like personally thank all these people that have been there for me for so long. And like, I cried more times than I can count. And it's just, they may seem like a following or whatever, but to me, they're real people who sent me messages and wished me well when I had bad days and, you know, propelled my sister's story forward. And it's like, I have gained everything through the true crime community. Um, and everyone that I lost by trying to do the right thing is like, well, you know, at this point, it's kind of like, it's sad, but good riddance. I, I can't help you see it my way. And, I truly feel like I have a good place um, where I'm coming from. My intentions are good and I'm just trying to do the right thing. And if you're not on board with that, then all right, bye. Yeah. It's kind of easy to let those people go if they challenge sort of like your disposition and they can't be supportive at this point. But I can't imagine it was always that easy. No, it definitely wasn't. I mean, we've had these conversations specifically about my brothers. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've cried and cried and cried and cried because I never thought that they understood it the way I did or saw it the way that I did. And at a certain point, I just had to let go and realize, you know, like they're, they're not going to see it my way. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything bad. And it's okay for us to have our differences. And if we don't see eye to eye, it's, it's probably best if we just, you know, stop communicating and go our separate ways. It's, it's extremely sad. I wish I would have never had to lose my entire family over this. Um, but again, it's, what do you do? What do you do? I can't, like, I'm not that person. They can say, Oh, never mind. Like, forget about this terrible thing that happened. I don't want to lose you guys. I've never been that person. Like I have died for like every cause since I was born on this planet. Like you remember like in fourth grade when they like, uh, they patted me down for loose change or whatever. Like I died on that cross too. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, that's not just, it's not right. We need to take this to the Supreme court. You can't be patting down kids. Like it's just, I was very much raised that way. If something's wrong, you speak up again about it. Like it, it's always been black and white to me. I've always been that person. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to be raised that way and have it turn out the way that it has. It's like, you need to fight for justice and you're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you remember, like we spent our whole spring break, you know, like protesting the war with blue hair in downtown Phoenix. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. We've always been this way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it was like, you know, we did have to advocate for our views a lot. I mean, Phoenix has come a long way politically, but we were very much in the minority, you know, believing in gay rights, believing in reproductive rights, being against the war, being, you know, and so we definitely were like the punk rock kids who felt like we had to take to the streets and like find our community because the suburbs were like really alienating for us. Yeah, especially in Arizona, my goodness. But like you said, it has it has come a long way. Um, 
you know, and I'm like more proud to be a part of this community than ever. And we've talked about this so many times, like, where's the culture in Phoenix? Where's this? Where's that? Um, and I do like to pretend that it, it's coming along, but there's certainly a long way to go. It's just, I don't know, like, what's life about if you're not trying to fight for something you believe in or try to make the world a better place? Like, that's what it's always been for me is make the world a better place. Like, I just, I don't know how people can live with themselves when they do bad things. Like, I, like, if I hit a butterfly, dude, I'm like, I'm like, cry. I'm like, no, I didn't, like, I didn't have the right to take that life. Like, who am I? Even when I kill <laughs> bugs in my house, like, I killed, like, this, this beetle or whatever. And I was like, I literally have this, like, crisis for a moment. I'm like, you didn't do anything. Like, it doesn't really hurt anything. I just, why did I kill it? Like, I just, like, who am I? It's like, <laughs> that's just the person I am. Like, I can't, I can't help it. No, I can't I help it. It's exhausting. I have a, I have a bug trapper. I'll send you a link, but basically it's like, you know, when you put like a cup over a bug and you slip a paper under the cup. Well, yeah. it's like a contraption that like you just like push a button and the paper like shoots out. And so it like makes it really easy to trap bugs. So I'm just like, I'll help you out, girl. I'll send you a link to that. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Again, it's just, it's exhausting to care about each and everything, but it is who I am. Yeah. I want to sort of turn back time a little bit because we have, you know, there's been a lot of timeline hops because we've just known each other for so long. And it, it feels like time isn't linear when we kind of like look at our experiences together. <laughs> um, and because this is a witchcraft podcast, I think it would be kind of fun if we like took a little stroll down memory lane to my 13th birthday party when we stole my dad's gin and mixed it with Gatorade <laughs> and like formed a coven. But before that, like we kind of found our way to witchcraft through just like being exposed to tarot cards. Um, do you remember much about sort of like your relationship to witchcraft and like what that was like for you? Yeah. And what's crazy to me now that I reflect on it right in this moment is like, can we talk about how it kind of started in advocacy? Like, it really did because my first memory of us like doing anything with witchcraft is being on our on the playground at Sunrise Elementary under the spider web. It was me, you, and another girl, and the the spell or you know w what we wanted to say was to protect her from an abusive home environment, yeah. and that was like I felt it. You know what I mean? I remember it was like pretend that you're you know like in this bubble and you're warm and you're safe, and I felt it. Um, and I think that's when I really really got into it. But it just also cracks me up that it literally for me started in advocacy because why not because why wouldn't it have yeah I remember that night too we like I feel like we were out later than we should have been like either we snuck out but we were also latchkey kids like we just like were ever to do whatever we like we were just running around yeah. whenever we wanted but yeah I, like I know it was nighttime it had to have been pretty late we like took candles and walked to the elementary school and I think we even like called corners because I'm pretty sure it might have even been four of us there. I can't remember if Astro was there or not. I've I've thrown her mm. I've thrown her name around before as being a coven member, so I don't think she would mind me saying it was her. But um, I remember we would like call corners. Like we each had our element. You were air because Libras are air. I was water because Scorpios are water. Um, and then Astro was fire because she was a Sagittarius. Tara, I think we gave her Earth, even though she was an an air sign as well. Um, but we totally like had our elements. We called our corners. Like we were doing legit, like witchcraft, reading books and studying. Like, do you remember when we like would go to hot topic and buy our pentacles? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Hot topic was where <laughs> it was at, but yeah, I mean, I remember all that. I remember going to the bookstore, the used bookstore, I forget what it was called. And we get all the Scott Cunningham books. Yeah. I think I still have a few of those. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it certainly felt real. Um, I think it still feels real. It's like the closest thing um, I felt to really being spiritual. And for me, you know, I, you know, we can get to it later, but it, I think it really did lead me down this path of manifestation of just yeah. speaking things into the universe and then seeing them happen. Because I mean, I can't attribute any, like that's the only thing I can attribute what has happened in my life to is like, I have manifested this shit like no other, because it certainly came out of thin fucking air. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm curious because I'm kind of curious where you stand spiritually now and kind of what your thoughts on manifestation are and what your practices with manifestation look like. Do you, you know, do you pray? Do you light candles? Like, what are you, what is that like for you? Sure. So like, I am always that girl that's like, 
I can't conform to a religion or a label. Like I will, I will always be that, that person because it's me. Hi. Um, so it's hard for me to put a label on it, but I have always believed in manifestation. And I think a lot of that came in the form of just optimism, you know, with my sister's case, I never believed it wouldn't be solved. I never believed that there wouldn't be a trial. Like, and I'm not saying that like just outwardly, like I was being strong on the internet, like in my mind, I would not allow myself to believe any other way. And I'm the same about my dreams and goals. Like when I go to bed at night, I try to focus on what I want my life to be the best case scenario, you know, where I want to live, who I want to be with, how I'm helping people. Um, and I mean, all I can say, you know, about all that is I like spiritually, I believe in being a good person. I believe in being good to the earth, to be totally honest. Like the earth is like a huge thing for me and just speaking what you want into the universe. And I think, you know, if, if you're a good person, you stand behind good things that you believe in and you work hard towards them. It all kind of is a cycle of, manifesting what you want, working towards it and seeing it happen. Um, Cause that's the only thing that I've seen given me results in, in my life is like work your ass off, be optimistic about it. And it just might fucking happen. Yeah. How do you, how do you fight it? Because I think like no matter how optimistic you are, most of the time, I think everyone has moments of darkness where it's just like, feels like an upward, like an upward battle. How do you fight that when you're, when you do have like sense, you know, like a, like a lower vibe creep in that wants to like, you know, make you feel like giving up or makes you feel like, you know, kind of questioning if like what you're doing is working. How do you fight that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I definitely have those moments. I'm not going to lie. There's moments where I'm like, nothing's ever going to work out. The whole world is shit. Nobody cares about anything. Everyone's evil and terrible. Um, but there's also the side of me that I, I don't know if it's a, like, if, if it's a defense mechanism, it certainly feels like it at times where I am endlessly blindly optimistic when I have absolutely no fucking business being optimistic yeah. about something. There's this little fucking sunshine in my head that goes, it's going to be okay, Sarah. Everything's going to be fine. You know, the, the world can be bad, but it can also be good. And again, whatever that is, that self-preservation mechanism or whatever the fuck is in my head, um, it definitely helps. I, I Like, even on the worst of days when I'm crying in the bathtub, you know, after a few glasses of wine thinking that the world's never going to get better, there's always that thing in my head that is like, but it will, but it will. It's always, you know, this too shall pass, which I think might come from the Bible. Forgive me. I just have absolutely no education on religion, to be totally honest. Um, I but I, I, oh, hey, Shakespeare? that would make a lot more sense with my English, uh, <laughs> with my English background. I don't know. I don't know um, but I, I mean, I believe in that this too shall pass. I have, I've yet to see a circumstance where it just lingers on forever and never gets better. Um, I feel like, you know, for you, there's a lot of like, I mean, you've just had so much loss and you've had like so much fall apart. And I think it's really honorable to have like this ability to bring yourself out of it and have an optimism. But I also feel like for you, you have, you have built, um, a, a bit of status for yourself and I feel like with that can come this sort of like people looking at you for answers or people looking at you for guidance. What does that sort of shift happen? Because you did, you know, again, start from the bottom. Now you're, you know, at the top on an incline, you know, like, you know, you keep moving up. You're and, so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really proud of you. And I, and I believe in you, like, you know, without limit. And I'm just curious, like, how do you, how do you like, deal with people like being like praising you or looking up to you or wanting to be like you, you know, now that you have this sort of like position. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm the worst at taking um, positive feedback. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I'm that person where I'm just like, okay, like I'm super uncomfortable. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in terms of people looking up to me in the true crime community, like I get it. You know what I mean? People, what I found uh, is unfortunately get told all the time that, you know, you should get media attention and it's not easy. Um, it's not easy. You know, I always like to remind people that everyone starts at zero followers. I certainly did. Um, and it's just, it's not easy. And I try to be as real and honest with them as possible. You know what I mean? I don't try to fill them with dreams that everything that they've ever wanted is going to come true. I, I try to let them know that every case is different. Um, I usually have to preface with, you should definitely consult a lawyer. Like I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a professional. I'm just a person who tried their best. Um, but it's hard because I, I, I don't want to let them down. And I think that that's the hardest pressure is I, 
I realize that I do have this great responsibility, you know what I mean? So I think that's, you know, part of not naming names, right? I understand that if I name someone, people are going to go after them. I get that. Um, it's, it's hard. I feel like I'm like, I had this conversation with someone at CramCon. I was like, I think I'm blissfully unaware of how large I've become in this space. Like even, even saying that makes me terribly uncomfortable. It makes me feel so <laughs> conceited and so full of myself. Like I feel so guilty for saying that right then. Um, but I think it's, it is it's truly because I have no concept because I still feel like I am that girl begging the whole world to listen about these topics. And whether it be when I worked in nonprofit, you know, when I worked with kids in foster care, begging people for event tickets, you know, for these kids or whatever, I still feel very much like that person that is begging people to care. And I do have to say, I think that's because I had a lot of important people in my life beat me down and tell me that I was literally nothing without them, that they made me. I've had several people tell me that in my life, which is, um, it's hard. Like I've, I've been abused in this space and I think I'm just coming to terms with that. Um, so it's hard for me to see myself in this light where people are looking up to me and looking to me for advice. And I just, I try to navigate it the best I can. You know, I always tell people like, if you need to talk to me about your case or you want advice, I'm happy to do that. It doesn't have to be content. I, I've spent hours on the phone with family members and it has never turned into content and that's okay. Um, so I don't think I fully answered your question because I don't know how to navigate this space. I don't know how to be what people want me to be, but I'm, I'm certainly trying. Um, just, you know, I'm just trying to be the best person I can, man, and help as many people as I can. I know that a lot of your experiences have been positive but I also realized you know even based off of what we've talked about you know even you know privately or right now that it's a mixed bag and I'm curious you know if you've ever encountered people who kind of like seemed like they felt like they were entitled to your help and like how you dealt with that wanting to wanting to be a helpful person but also like the boundary of like people being demanding of of your support is that something that you've had to deal with? Yeah. I mean, I would say it was definitely a lot more when I was campaigning for Alyssa. Um, again, it goes back to that. You should be grateful that I'm helping you and do everything that I ask. And you know, at that, at that point, I have to be honest, I had absolutely no balance. I would, you know, the reason I learned how to edit a podcast at all is because somebody said, you know, Oh, I don't have time to edit this promo, you know, about your sister. So it's not going to run. And I said, fuck that. I'm going to learn how to fucking edit and make this happen. I can't wait for your guy. If I do it, will you run it? Um, so I mean, yeah, I've had people give me their entire script to review and I had no boundaries. I did absolutely everything. I've built up social media platforms for other people in hopes of helping my sister's story. I had zero boundaries and it's something I regret because I felt like I, you know, I was somebody, I'm still somebody that people look up to in this industry and I was telling them it's okay to get walked all over. It's okay to put, you know, endless amounts of hours into somebody else's work, you know, just for your feeling of her story to get out there. And it's not that I totally disagree with all those things now, but I had no boundaries and there certainly should have been boundaries. So I'm kind of trying to correct that now in the space and to let family members know that, you know, you can be grateful and you can be open and talk about these stories, but you don't have to be a doormat. You don't have to offer endless hours of free work for someone that can, you know, afford to hire somebody to do those things, especially tedious tasks that aren't necessarily helping the case. It's, yeah, I could honestly go on on about it forever and ever. Um, yeah. But I, dude, I had no boundaries. I had no boundaries. I was up till 4 a.m. helping other people with their projects. I can't even imagine how many hundreds of thousands, if maybe even a million dollars I've made other people right. by just helping them promote my sister's story. And I was glad to do it. I was glad to do it. I don't regret it. What I regret is leaving this footprint in the space of that's how family members should be. And I feel I feel horrible about that all the time because... You can have boundaries. You can. I think I could have achieved what I've achieved in the space without being a total doormat, which is exactly what I was. Right. There are, you know, there are a lot of people who, whether it's true crime or spirituality or, you know, uh, even like hairstylists, like there are people that I've consulted who one of the things I've always like, you know, one of the things that's just important if you're trying to make a name for yourself now is building your social media. And I know that a lot of people struggle with feeling authentic in that space. And I'm kind of curious if you have any advice when it comes to remaining authentic while you're building your platform, but also like advice on how to grow your audience. Because I think that that's an intimidating thing for a lot of people that stops them from pursuing 
their dreams and their fantasies? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, just be unapologetically you. You know, I, I to be honest, I have to stop myself sometimes, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I'm becoming real preachy. Like, I gotta, I gotta limit it. I can't do like ten posts a day about, you know, preaching about one topic. But again, I am unapologetically myself, and I've always been that way. Um, I, I just. I don't know how to be any other way. So if it feels right, do it. And if it feels weird, don't. Um, and in terms of, you know, building up your social media, you got to be consistent is number one. You know, I do see it in some true crime cases where the family members just don't understand why they're not getting traction. And it's like, well, you haven't posted in two weeks. You know what I mean? It's, And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. So there are certain platforms. There's always tools you can use, right? If you feel like you're not up to doing a post every single day, get yourself a scheduling, you know, app or whatever. They're free. They're free. You can do it. You can batch these posts together and make them go out, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks without having to do anything every day. Um, So if you don't have the time, there are, you know, technological advances that can help you in terms of that. But just be unapologetically yourself. And unless you're some terrible asshole talking about terrible things, you know what I mean? I I don't think people will attack you for it. Um, There will always be an audience for whatever you want to do. And that's just, you know, the, the, the simple facts of it. Look at something like OnlyFans. You know, there, there's a, there's something for everybody on there. And it's the same with social media. It's just true. Like whatever you want to do, there's going to be somebody that's super fucking into that. You just have to wait and build up that audience. So like be patient, be consistent. And if it feels right, it probably is right. And if it feels wrong and it feels unauthentic, it probably isn't authentic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I'm curious you know, when it comes to sort of like feeling like something's right, feeling like something is wrong, how, like, how would you describe your relationship with just like your, your personal intuition and not only the content that you create, but just like your life in general and how you feel like your intuition guides you? Yeah, I definitely feel like there's some intuition there. Um, I can't, it's, it's so hard to describe like a gut feeling, you know what I mean? That's what it is. That's what it is. You know, like, what was it? Like, uh, the day I got back from CrimeCon, you know, I was all excited to post, like, I wanted to post, like, 5,000 things. And I was like, okay, maybe, like, stagger it out. Like, maybe, like, not, like, inundate people with, like, every single experience you've had at CrimeCon, you know? And I feel like that's intuition is, like, (laughs) knowing when to stop, knowing when to stagger it out, knowing when to pick your battles. Um, I, I very much believe in trusting your gut, trusting your own timing. I have, for whatever reason, been blessed with amazing timing that I've learned to just not fucking disagree with um so again dude if it feels right do it if your gut's telling you this is wrong it's probably wrong you know it's the same like being in a sketchy parking lot you see somebody that creeps you out fucking lock those doors don't think twice about it you know what i mean just trust your gut and i think everybody kind of has their own personal journey with learning how to listen to that and learning how to trust that you know i think for me a huge thing was self-confidence i think a few years ago like before i did that big wine and food tour with usa today where i was thrust like i'd never traveled anywhere i've never been in you know in charge of all these people or whatever and it changed me completely. There's just those life experiences that give you self-confidence. And I think that's when I learned more to trust my intuition of, ooh, that person's probably not good. And, oh, I really like that person and what they're doing. It's You have to be confident in your own feelings. And until you can get there, it's really hard to trust your own intuition. Because, like, in my mind back in the day, I'd be like, who the fuck am I? I'm a fucking idiot. I don't, I don't believe in myself. But once you do believe in yourself and you're like, okay, like, you know, this bitch probably knows what she's talking about. Um, yeah. I get so casual with you on here. I apologize. Like, no, don't I, t- love I don't talk. I love it. That's, that's why, like, this is why I think like us talking will maybe appeal to some of your fans that cross over and listen to it. Cause I feel like there's just a, like a layer that comes off cause we've known each other for so long. So like, if you want to cuss and like go on tangents, do it. Cause I think that that's kind of like the beauty of this interaction anyway. I love it. And they loved you when you did the birth chart stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I, I get stuff about that all the time. They absolutely loved you. And yeah, I mean, it is hard. Cause like, I don't, and that's where like, I'm not good at being like an, like, I hate the fucking word influencer, right? But that's why I'm not going to be an influencer or a creator or whatever the fuck you want to call it is like, when it's me and you, I don't know how to be an influencer. I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. I, I just have a natural conversation yeah. and they wish, more people would be like that and I think that people in this day and age really do appreciate authenticity more than 
more than they did before. And I think it's because they're just like, people are calling out the bullshit in the entertainment industry. People are seeing behind the curtain more and more and more. And so they're expecting authenticity. I think all that fake bullshit is going to be, it's going to be gone pretty quick. Like there's a place and time for professionalism, but like, yeah, I don't know. You know, when you see some of these like creator collaborations and you're like, I feel like they secretly fucking hate each other. Like, why are we <laughs> pretending that they like love each other because of this eyeshadow palette or whatever? It's just, I think that consumers are recognizing that. And again, like believe in your audience. Like if you think your audience are idiots, you'll try to trick them. If you respect your audience, you'll be real with them. And that's just yeah, how I feel. That's totally true. That's totally true. I'm curious because I know we're like we're kind of getting close to time here but there's a couple more things I wanted to ask you about because I do think that like you do have a level of intuition about you I do think that you have like this empathic sort of nature and like like empath are empaths are basically people who can feel other people's emotions and pain and so with you working so close to other victims do you like how do you deal with not only feeling their pain and sorrow, but understanding it in a way that other people can't. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like me being sad because I'm covering your story is in no way um, equivalent to the pain that any victim that I talk about has gone through. So for me, I'm not like, oh gosh, it hurts so bad. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, they hurt so bad. You know what I mean? Like to this day, I cry at every single episode I make. It's usually near the end when it's like in completion, when I'm reviewing it or reviewing the script, because I just, I feel for these people and I feel a personal obligation to do right by them. You know what I mean? When I'm covering the case of a little girl who's gone missing that nobody else in this fucking world cares about, I feel an obligation to get their story right. I feel an obligation to make sure that I create the episode to the best of my ability. And, um, it's, it's hard because I definitely am an empath. You know, I, I hear 911 calls and I'll just burst into tears because I can fucking feel that emotion. I can feel their panic. Um, But again, it comes down to like, I have the easy end of this. I'm just making content about it. I'm just trying to spread awareness. They had the hard part about it. So as much as it, it hurts, it doesn't feel good to sit there and cry about these cases. It's, it's fucking, it's not about me. You know what I mean? It's about them and highlighting them. And I, I like to think that I come at, add it with an empathetic lens, which, you know, means I won't sensationalize their story. You know, I hear, especially with these larger cases, they'll be covered in the same way by a lot of people, which I get, you know, it's, it's the nature of true crime. You know, there's only so many ways you can tell these stories, but you know, for example, when you lead with something sensational that, you know, doesn't work out in the end, you know, I had a case that's really popular where it was like, um, you know, the stepdad brings in clothes with blood on it and people will sit there and, you know, we don't get the results for three weeks and, you know, they'll come back to the dun, dun, dun. Well, you know, it was animal blood. And like in that episode, I was like, I'm not going to drag this out. He brought it there. It's animal blood. Let's get over it. Like, yeah. Because it's not fair and it's not crucial to the story. So I'm not going to pretend that it is. I'm not going to sit there and drag it out and be like, what if when in my head, I know that it doesn't amount to shit. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I think that's where my personal experience and and empathy comes in is like, it's not a fucking sideshow. I'm not going to sit there and pretend that this is important when it's not, I'm going to give it to you straight up. And I know that that doesn't jive well with everybody. um, But I certainly like to think that um, there are people who appreciate it, including, you know, the, the feedback. I get from the family members that I do interview. I, I get that all the time is I've never had an interview like this. I've never had somebody, you know, excuse me, not ask me. So tell me about your worst day that's ever happened to you. I just, I won't do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've been really excited about the the family member feedback I've gotten and how empathetic and sensitive I am. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. That's, that's what I listen to is, is that. Yeah. I know that you, you know, you do encounter and internalize a lot of trauma when you are working in these realms. And I know that you spend like many hours every day. Do you find that you have to, because I just know you and I know that you work like a dog. So like, do you ever have to stop yourself and just be like, yeah, you know, this might be enough, like, you know, researching for a while. I I, kind of need a break and a palate cleanser. Like, do you have to watch that? And also like, what do you do to bring your focus away from these realms? Because I imagine your psyche does need a break from time to time. 
So I am kind of the worst at stopping myself. Like even today, it's like 3 p.m. my time. And I'm like, I haven't eaten today um, because I've been working and, and promoting stuff or whatever. And it, it's hard because I I do feel like it's all for the cause. It's all for the cause. So it does propel me. But there is a certain point in which, especially when I'm doing research or writing, that my brain just gets so fuzzy and so burnt out that that's when I know to stop. Because I'm like, I'm no longer producing good information. I'm not doing good research. I'm not writing well, whatever it might be. And that's not okay to the victim. Again, it all comes back to the victim. I'm like, I'm not doing my best work right now. I need to take a second and step away. And that's usually when I need to step away. You know, of course, when there's things that come up in my personal life, that, that applies as well as like, okay, I know that I'm upset right now. I need to step away. But otherwise, if it, if I feel good and it's a regular day, I'm, I'm out there working. And again, it's, it, it's my own pressure is I will continue to work on a story until I feel it's complete until I feel like I've done all the research. Um, I mean, it's super fucking easy to go out there and get the gist of a story to read a Wikipedia article. And I can put out the same episode that a ton of people put out there and is widely accepted. I'm sure people wouldn't call me out on it. They wouldn't say anything, but that's not why I'm in this business. I want to make sure I'm doing right by the victim. So, um, yeah, I think once it impairs my work, that's when I know to stop. Otherwise, if it's just me, I will go forever as long as I still feel good. It just is what it is. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, if people can find you online, I feel like I want to keep going, but we've also been in an hour and I know you haven't eaten today, so we will wrap it, but I want to have you back on because I feel like there's so much that we haven't even talked about, about like just growing up together and the spiritual realms. And, and we didn't even get to talk about, you know, I, okay, well, I do want to ask you one more thing before I let you go, if that's okay. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. I'm curious, just sort of like having having Alyssa have been gone for so long on like a spiritual level how do you feel like that relationship is carried on like how do you feel like that connections like exist in this day yeah you know people ask me like do you feel like you feel her and stuff and to be honest it's like not really you know and I lost my mom at a young age and I never really felt like she was watching over me or anything like that either I never felt their presence but I have to say that there's I mean, after all we've gone through, there's something out there looking, looking over me. Cause there's, I, I feel like I should have died in a handful of instances. I should have been arrested in a handful of instances and I wasn't. Um, but you know, for me, it's about turning Alyssa into something more than a sad story. And I, I like, I didn't go into that with those intentions. Like I think what a lot of people miss about this is I was just flying by the seat of my pants. I was like, Oh, I'm going to open an Instagram. Okay. Here's a picture of Alyssa. Let's hope this takes off. And it just evolved from there. I just did what felt right. You know what I mean? But at this point now I get so many messages of like, I heard your sister's story and I'm escaping abuse. You know, I, I heard your sister's story and I'm telling on somebody that I know is abusing somebody else. I, I got my sister out of a situation and it's like, those are the things that keep me going. Um, those are the ways that I think Alyssa's legacy lives on. And I think it'll live on for a long time. I, I never realized how many people were affected by her story. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's how, how I've honored her memory. Um, yeah. and it was, like I said, this kind of unintentional consequence of telling the story. I never affected, I never expected so many people to relate and feel comfort in that. Um, but they certainly have. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that because Alyssa gets to live on. And I think that that's extremely beautiful. And, um, I could have never, ever expected it in my wildest dreams. Are there any items that used to belong to her that you like clutch onto or hold on to when you're like really missing her or, you know? feeling like you want to yeah. answer to her? There are. Um, it's specifically this ring, this ring that um, it's like this, this terrible like 90s, you know, sterling silver ring that she probably got at the mall or whatever. Um, but I wear it like when I need strength. Like if I do a big interview that I'm nervous about or I meant to bring it to crime con, but I forgot all my jewelry because it's me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when it's big things like that, I'll wear her ring and my mom's ring and my aunt Lynette's ring who've all passed now. But I feel like, you know, it's a strong, the strong line of strong foreigner women, which is, you know, my maiden last name, if you will, my mom's maiden name, um, that gives me all this strength, you know, and, and when I miss Alyssa, that's, I, I wear the ring. I have like a bunch of Tigger stuff, you know, cause Tigger was her favorite. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll like, it's hard. Like I'll try not to like watch home videos. Cause then I just like get sad and like deep in the depths and stuff. But, um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, when I miss her, I try to just do things that remind me of her. I'll watch Empire Records. I'll listen yeah. to Faith from Limp Biscuit, yeah. um, which is a big one. Like, that's usually my go-to. It's like, all right, I'm going to listen to Faith a few times and just get out of my feels. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly days where I feel like I need to just, you know, um, live in that moment with her for a minute, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. You like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to me. I can't wait to be able to see you in person again soon. If people want to find you, you know, listen to your podcast, all that good stuff. How do they do that? Sure. You can find me um, under almost every single social media platform at Sarah E. Turney. And you can listen to Voices for Justice anywhere you find podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, um, all those good places. Just search Voices for Justice and you will find me. Thank you so much for being here. I love you so much. I feel so lucky to have you as a friend and a sister. Just, you know, like, I mean, we've, like, I, you're my first friend, you know, I've I'm like, you're stuck with me. What do you mean you yeah. feel lucky? Like, you're stuck with me. You, you absolutely have no choice. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're just, we're just basically honorary blood ties at this point, so. Uh, yeah, but no, I can't wait to see you and I love you. And I'm sorry we didn't talk about more witchcraft stuff. That's okay. I know there was like a bunch that I wanted to talk about too, but I just feel like I also really wanted to just talk about the work that you do because I think it's just so important for people to be aware of like the underbelly of the true crime world because there's, there's good and there's bad and it's sometimes hard for people to weed through, I think. Oh, well, you're sweet. And I always try to tell people that like, you know, if, if it is a family looking for a psychic reading or whatever, a tarot reading, I'm always like, go to my friend, Aww. right? Cause, <laughs> Cause you know, you know, like, you know, not to screw people over, you know how that can affect them. And I believe in what you do. So thank you for being one of the good ones. Thank you. Thanks for saying, I get really pissed off when I hear your stories. Like, I mean, you've seen me like, I'm pretty even kill most of the time, but like, you've seen me lose my shit and get see like super angry about what you've had to deal with. So I appreciate you acknowledging that like my whole industry isn't corrupt and shitty and fucking nightmare. It's not, it's definitely not. And we're allowed to get, um, you know, unrightfully angry about people who attack each other. Cause we're family. That's what you do. That's true. That's true. I know. I remember the other day, <laughs> I remember the other day you were like, Oh, we don't like this person. And you like told me like who it was. And I was like, okay, I hate them. And you were like, exactly. And that was it. Like, that was just like, okay, we're, like there's an alliance. There's a bond. Exactly. Exactly. It just is what it is. But I appreciate the hell out of you. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for doing it. <laughs>